heading off to center score. Are they going with Nathan? Follow Nathan out. Awesome. I do have uh, two uh, additional uh, opportunities I just want to make you aware of um, before we jump into the word this morning. Um, I have talked about um, the Potter's Wheel Soul Care um, group soul care times of uh, four or five days. A number of about 25 people in the church have been through at this point. There's one at the end of February that we have a group going through, and there's several people that could really use some financial help to make that possible for them. So if you would like to contribute towards that in the life of somebody else, um, if you put a check in the box and just put Potter's Wheel on the bottom of it and make it to the vineyard, or there's a fund for it online that would uh, really bless somebody. In addition to that, for uh, men in this, men in here, uh, John Seepin, who does Potter's Wheel, leads a men's retreat called uh, Learning to Love the Master. It's a Friday night, Saturday, and a Sunday morning. Um, it says uh, it uh, focuses your eyes on the specific, uh, specifics of God's involvement in your life. You'll see God at work around you as you look more closely at his work in your life. You actually write it down and in the lives of those you share your story with. It's basically guided to write your story of how God has been involved in your life and then sharing it with one another. Um, it's coming up in March. It's held at the Holy Trinity Monastery, which they'll be staying up in St. David, Arizona. Guys, if you're interested in that, coming up in March, you can grab one of these, and it's everything you need to know about it. Um, Dave, uh, Mike mentioned to pray for Dave Drum. He's, um, he was supposed to speak um, last night and today, and he's pretty sick. Um, called me Saturday morning and wasn't going to be able to be here. A gal was visiting the service last night, and afterwards she said, um, wasn't somebody else supposed to speak? And I, I detected this note of disappointment. I thought, ugh. So we'll get to that later this morning. Um, we are in uh, Matthew chapter 10, so you can turn there, and we are going to continue right along as where we were supposed to be. Um, recall that uh, Matthew 10 begins the second of five discourses in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember, there's this, in between the introduction and the conclusion, we have these five blocks where there's a, a narrative of Jesus doing something, and then he talks about it. Um, and the first discourse was the Sermon on the Mount. The second discourse is often called um, the Mission Discourse, and we are in that, the beginning of that here um, in chapter 10, as he's preparing the disciples to go out. So we we're looking at Jesus going out before, now Jesus is sending us out. He sends the disciples out, and he wants to prepare them for what they're about to do, both immediately, because they're going to go out here on a little mission trip um, in a moment, but also for down the road, and it's for us as well, as we... We get sent every morning as we, we go out into the world where we spend the better part of our week. Um, Jesus wants to prepare us. So let me read these words. It's uh, Matthew 10. I'm going to start with verse 5 and go through verse 15. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, so give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. If, that, if you were about to go on a missions trip and these were your instructions, uh, think about how you would feel. Um, interesting stuff here. Um, so what I want to do this morning, um, we're just going to, as we often do, I just want to walk through the passage so we understand what's being said here. I'm going to get, get filled in on exactly what the text is trying to tell us. Um, and then um, I want to pull up one aspect of it that kind of uh, was touching on my heart as I was um, taking a look at this um, in preparation for today. So the first thing is, uh, Jesus gives them their message. We have the message here. Verse 7, they're to go out, and as they go out, they're to proclaim a very simple message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise, because that's what Jesus was doing all along. Remember, Jesus goes out, and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven. Um, that's, that's his message. Jesus goes everywhere. He, he enlarges on that, but the heart of his message was the kingdom of heaven. He even says it's right here, right in your midst to them. And so when, the, when he's going to send the disciples out, um, they're kind of like, what do we say? And he says, well, just say the same thing I've been saying all along. You don't have to even prepare. Just go say the same message, which is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, the, uh, the people of Israel would have known exactly what was being talked about here. It's not the kind of terminology we normally use, but when they said the kingdom of heaven is here, they knew what was being talked about. The whole Old Testament was just a, was preparing them for that. It was a revelation of what the kingdom of heaven was about. And even though it had gotten mixed up and distorted, they understood the message. Everything that has been written in the law and the prophets and the books of history, all of that was coming to fruition. That was the message. If they've been waiting for thousands of years for the promises to all happen, when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's saying it's all about to come now in their midst, which should have caused them all to go, we're ready. I mean, they should have had immediate response of, of receiving it. The kingdom of heaven, as a matter of fact, in Luke 10, which is a parallel passage to this one, um, he says to them, say that the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. And then even those who rejected, he says to say to them, the kingdom of heaven was right there, and you missed it. The kingdom of heaven has come near to you. Um, the message that they give has the Lord at the center, and it's all about the inauguration of his kingdom and his rule and all of its content is all comprised in that little statement there. Of course, we get expanded on that because that's we get the four gospel after Christ, but the kingdom of heaven comes into our hearts through the vehicle of the cross for us as Jesus shed his blood. But this is what they had all been waiting for. And by the way, when we go out and we go out the doors, the message is exactly the same. We may not go out on campus, maybe we would, and say the kingdom of heaven is at hand, um, but that would be a good message. But we carry the kingdom of heaven in us as we've looked at that, that little, our little kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven and kingdom of earth chart. We carry the kingdom of God with us in the spirit, and we go out declaring that there is another kingdom. And it's not just the one for the future. It is here today to impact the world today. And our world desperately needs to know that there is another kingdom that they can find life in. It's not absent. Um, the truth is, um, I would just add, um, I think that we can all um, be guilty of being what I, I would call practical atheists. Um, we believe in God but we think he's absent. And we often act as though he's absent. Even believers, in the way they respond to the things of the world, act as though God is actually 
absent from us. And one of the reasons we get together every week is to remind us he's not. He's, he's, he's doing what he promised, and it may not look the way we think it should look, but the kingdom of heaven is here, and God is working in our midst. And we should pay attention to it, and we ought to have a longing in our heart to see it come into its fullness in the world today. Second thing he does here is he um, gives them what, how will their message be supported. So they're going to go out and say the kingdom of heaven is a hand, and people are going to go, how do we know that? Everybody says that. And so he gives them the way to support their message. And it's in verse 8 here. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. By the way, again, this shouldn't be unfamiliar. Because what did Jesus just do in chapters 8 and 9? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. He cast out demons. He did the exact same thing. The Old Testament prophecy said when the Messiah would come, this is how we would notice him. And then Jesus comes along and says, when, when I come, this is what you're going to see. And then Jesus does it. And then he tells the disciples, now go do exactly the same thing. So when you give the message, and people are wondering, is it true? It'll be shown by the authority of the deeds that you do, which are these miracles that would give um, authority to their message. Their actions, the demonstration of authority would show everyone that the message had a divine origin to it, that it was not a message of their own making. Because there were all sorts of people out preaching, just like it is today whose message did not have a divine origin. And theirs is going to be shown, it's going to be supported by the deeds that they do. Um, interesting, um, we have no record, uh, and we'll get this in a minute, but we have no record of the disciples doing any miracles up to this point. Jesus is the one. And so just think for a minute, we'll get back to this. You're, you're a disciple, you've been following Jesus around, he's going around, he's laying hands on people, and their leprosy is disappearing. He's, he's, he's telling people to stand up, and they get up and start walking, there's a girl that's dead, and he raises her up, and demons are, are coming out of people, and all this stuff is going on. And Jesus says, okay, now you guys pair up and go out and do it. And they're like, what? Like, what? What do we do? I mean, do they just say it? It's, I mean, and I would be terrified. It's like, what if we do this and nothing happens? And everybody laughs at us, and the message is discredited by it. And Jesus says, go out and do it. Interesting, we find out in Luke 10, we get the rest of the story. They come back, and they're not like, hey, this, this is what we did. They're like, you wouldn't believe what happened. That's what they say. You wouldn't believe it. We went out, and like, we're casting out demons. They're, they're almost in shock over it because they didn't expect it to happen. And they're just thrilled, and Jesus is thrilled with them. Their message, Jesus comes along, God comes behind it and authenticates their message. And today, as we're sent out, we are sent out with the same authority. Matthew tells us, Jesus says, all authority in heaven I give to you. When they come back and they're telling the story about what he did, Jesus says this in Luke 10. He says, Jesus said, he says, I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. And that is the authority we have all been given. I know we don't feel like it. That is the authority God has laid on us, that same authority. Satan is not a, there's not this cosmic battle going on today, despite what we might look around and see, where we're not really sure what's going to happen yet. Um, this, the enemy is already defeated, and we have to move forward in authority, and it may not always look like things are happening, but God is still sovereign, God is ruling, God is in control, and he holds complete authority over the enemy, he has given that authority to us as well. And then thirdly, he tells them the way they are delivered to deliver the message. There's lots of people who deliver a right message, 
in a very wrong way. And so Jesus not only gives them what to say and shows how it's going to be supported, but he shows them the way they're to go out, how they're to go out. We saw this already in chapter 9 at the very end. Remember we said when we go out, we go out with the, the, the eyes and the heart of Jesus that always led with compassion and then followed it up with truth. Compassion came first and then truth. And he adds some instructions to them. So he doesn't um, leave them without any instructions. He gives them some. And I'm just going to walk through. There's quite a few here, so let me just walk through what those instructions were. And by the way, this, is, um, this section here is not the prescription for us for all time. So um, as we go out, we're all supposed to get rid of our sweaters, take off our shoes, um, we're, and, and head out, empty our pockets of any change that's in there, and we're to go out. That's not the idea here. Um, this is probably one of several times Jesus sent them out. We, we see later on that um, they did things very differently than this, but for this particular time, um, this is what he wanted. Um, there are people that take on a vow of poverty in order to bring the message, and we wouldn't ever want to discourage that because there's a right heart behind that, and it opens up the message. Um, it says here, go only to the Jews. Of course, Jesus himself went to the Gentiles, and Paul took the news. But for right here, for these guys, Jesus has some specific instructions for them and wants to pass them along, and there's something behind this and why he does that. And I'm going to fix my iPad because it keeps – I forgot to um, make it so it doesn't go to sleep on me every minute. Never. Okay, we're back in business here. It's like keep looking. Where'd it go? Second of all, um, the, how did it go out? The audience would be limited. It says here, go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As a matter of fact, I think the disciples thought, can't we just go to the Gentiles? We don't know them. So when this doesn't work out, they won't. But what if we go to the Israelites? And they, we see people we know. Um, but he says he doesn't give them that way out. He sends them instead to the lost sheep of Israel. There's a couple of reasons for this. Um, Remember we said that God created a community in Adam and Eve, and they, they failed his, his calling. So God creates a new community, the nation of Israel. He gives them commands, says, follow these things, and you're going to enjoy peace. They didn't. But that, that offer was still being given at this point. Israel was still the, the people that God was offering the kingdom to. It ultimately gets offered to them when he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and offers himself as king. And they say a lot of things, but they eventually they reject him. And so here, the offer is still going first to Israel. That's still God who he's working with. And it's going to shift, and he's going to create a new community, which is us, the church. But here at this point, they still took it to them first. Um, the message, even in Matthew, was designed for that group of people. Um, as a nation, though, they reject it, and God eventually brings it to us. But here at this point, he's still saying, take it to the Israelites. Although we all know that. All along the way, Jesus touched the Gentiles, and he went to the Samaritans and did all those things. But here for this group, let's go to just that group. But initially here, this is their first audience. Second of all, they were to give freely. It says, um, as you received without paying, give without pay. It reminds that verse that, ho, everyone that thirsts, right, come and buy without money. Um, the, the, the offer of grace, the offer of the kingdom is given freely, and he says, you guys have been given this and just given to you, so go give it out. Don't, don't attach some requirement to it that's going to get in the way of people receiving what they, what they get. doesn't mean that, um, that you, you can't continue to pay me to be here, by the way. 
Um, I just want to make that clear. Um, later on in Timothy, Paul, Paul says that there's people that are, that are supported. Paul himself um, often worked in order to preach. Other times, is supported in preachers, different things. But here at this place, he wants to make sure that um, there were so many out there, there were prophets who would only give a prophecy if they were paid for it. And there were people preaching here, as they do today, that only preached when they got something for it. And the Lord didn't want any of that to be attached to the disciples when they went out. They wanted them to go out and going, this is a message for everybody. It's free. I'm afraid in our day today, um, without being too critical, and it's, we're all susceptible to it, um, there's, there's preachers and churches and ministries that run, and they're just so encumbered with so much um, money and attention and prominence. It gets in the way of the message because people just see what they have, and they've, they've gotten seduced by that. It's easy for us if for it to happen to anybody. And Jesus is making sure that this does not happen to disciples. You've gotten it, so just give freely and trust that I'll take care of you. That's how he sends them out. They were to go empty-handed. That's what it says here. Acquire no gold or silver or copper. In other words, don't put a little change in your pocket for the trip, okay? They did not have a bag, which makes sense because he's not letting them carry anything anyways. Um, they're not allowed to take two tunics, in other words, two jackets. They would, they would wear one thing, and then they would bring an extra one. They could use it to sit on, use it to cover up with. Um, if it got cold, they weren't allowed to take that. They weren't allowed to wear shoes, which as I said last night, um, there's a number of people here that be, that's great, because sometimes up here people aren't wearing shoes. So that works here, but there was, wasn't a good thing. And they weren't supposed to take a staff. And the staff was for protection, because on the road it was dangerous. And they weren't allowed to take something for their protection. Go empty-handed. I mean, there's something about just having a little change in your pocket, isn't it? You can at least get a snack on the road, right? And Jesus saying, nope, you don't, I'm not, you're not going to get that. You're not going to be able to pull aside and, and be able to pick up something. You're going to have nothing unless somebody gives it to you. Their feet are going to get cold, and they're going to be sore and dirty as they walk. Um, they all take off their sandals and leave them in an old pile at the campsite, and Jesus sent them off for a reason, because they all had sandals on. There's nothing wrong with sandals. Jesus doesn't let them wear even that. And they're to go out without protection. And the question is, why, why would he do this? Why does he strip them of almost everything except for one pair of clothes? He, at least they didn't go out naked. And he let them wear their clothes. But that's it. That's all they've got. And we'll look at that more as we come to the conclusion here. But ultimately, they couldn't depend on anything. But the guy next to them and knowing that the Lord was behind it. That was it. We, just, we were just singing about that. Um, all the things that we grab onto. Um, it's interesting how little things that we have, even the smallest things, you build a trust in them. And as when God takes them away, all of a sudden you realize how much we trust in so many other things besides him. And, and Jesus strips all that away from them so that they're almost on the edge of being terrified we have nothing. I can't, even, I can't even get a dime in my pocket. And we could get beat up on the road, and we have nothing to protect ourselves with, and it causes them, it's forcing them to be dependent on the Lord himself. Interesting, in, in uh, um, Deuteronomy, when the nation was in the, in the desert, 
Um, God actually says to him, it says, I let you be hungry. God allowed them to be hungry. He purposely didn't feed them at times in order that they would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from God's mouth. Every single day they were stripped of all their resources to provide for themselves in order that every day they would learn, God takes care of me. Um, we forget it in a moment, and we have so many things to rest on and find comfort in that we forget that everything we have comes from him. As I said, this is probably one of several sendings. You can go to Mark, and actually it's a little different story. They did get to wear shoes in Mark, but Jesus probably sent them out multiple times um, here. They were to go expecting at least three responses, and we get that in uh, verses 11 through 15. As they go out, they were to expect three different responses. We already saw this earlier as Jesus began to prepare them. for This is how people are going to respond to the message and as I said, chapter 11 is actually going to go show Jesus going out, and we're going to see that people respond exactly the same way as they, they respond here. Um, verse 11, 13, it says that their, their greeting is received and they're welcomed. So they go into a town and they say, peace be to you, and they look for a home where someone maybe is receiving. Um, it says, as you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Um, that means to rest there. People are going to take care of you. They're going to give you something to eat. Um, they're going to say, this is a good message. We want to hear more about it. Then we have another group here, and it's, it's, um, it says that the house is unworthy, or um, then let your peace return to you. And that's I think, is more along the group that kind of goes, I'm not really sure about that message. Maybe the people next door have space for you. Why don't you go over there and check with them? Um, it's, it's the gentle turning away. It's, it's the... Um, Kind of the ambiguous, not really ready for that. Um, we talk about the fact it's like the, the seed that falls in the soil and seems to receive it, but doesn't really hold on. It's just really not there. It's just there for the benefit. Um, we saw that Jesus described that earlier, but we will definitely see this group in um, chapter 11. It's, it's, it's greeting is met with indifference, which almost all the crowds that followed Jesus met with that. They were interested, but they really weren't in the end. And then we have a third group, and that's the group that just outright rejects it. We do not want that message. As a matter of fact, we're going to oppose the message, which they get as well. And that's going to actually get described further in the chapters, the verses to follow. It says, if um, anyone will not receive you, and they won't even listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. So there's that group of people that um, they go to speak, and there's opposition to the message. They come against it, all three. And his tells them to shake the dust from your feet, which their feet are going to be really dusty because they're walking around in bare feet. Um, back then, it's like if they would walk through like a Samaritan village, they would shake off their feet. It was almost like going, we're done with you guys. That kind of, that guy, that kind of idea um, doesn't sound very nice. Um, it's a way for them to say, you are responsible for what you heard. We gave the message. You didn't receive it, but you've heard it. You're responsible for it. The other side of that, I think, is, is Jesus letting him know it's okay to move on. Um, Jesus often went to a place, and they didn't receive, and he moved on. Sometimes he was doing great stuff, and he still moved on. It's okay to move on. And what, what he wants them to do is spread this out, get, get the word of the kingdom going out, and when it's, it's not going here, fine, just move on. Just move on. And Trust God with that. You're not going to argue him into the kingdom. So trust the Lord with it. 
And then lastly here in this, just walking through it, they were to go out knowing who was with them. They were to go out knowing who was with them. And I get that. This is, um, th- these are really strong words here. Verse 15, look what it says. It says, I say to you, it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. That's, that's a strong statement, isn't it? It's like they don't listen. There's something coming. Um, this issue of uh, judgment and hell, I'm going to revisit. I'm going to visit this later because as we move through Matthew, um, Jesus spends a lot of time on this. And so we will kind of wrestle through exactly what that is. So I'm going to save that for later. <clears throat> but I think the strong word Jesus has actually demonstrates um, something else here as he sends his friends out knowing that not everybody's going to treat them well. If you're a parent and you send your kids off for the first time, you know that life is going to treat them hard. Um, It it hurts your heart. You have concern. You want to deal with that, do something. My sister, when she was um, 12, just going into junior high, we were bused into a school for junior high, and it was a rough place. And there was this guy right off the bat that would just bother her all the time. It didn't bother her. He mistreated her. he would do the old knock, bo- knock her books out of her arm all, every, all the time. She'd be picking them up. Um, he'd kick at her. He shoved her into the lockers. Um, he'd call her bad names, all this kind of stuff, and she'd come home crying. And I had um, my brothers, my older brothers were both uh, at the end of high school, and they were big. And um, one day they drove her to school, to junior high, and they went in with her, and she pointed out the kid. And they walked up to him, and they held him by the locker, and they said, when you bother our sister, you're bothering us. And he never bothered her again. He never bothered her again. And I think there's a sense here that Jesus is going, when you go out, I'm going with you. And when, when, when you're done injury, when you're not received, when you're struggling, I'm feeling it as well. And I am with you. That's why Jesus says, when he sends us, he says, lo, I am with you always. He wants to know in all places at all times, he is there. He's there to support us. He kind of has our back in a sense. Luke 10, 16 says this. Jesus adds to this little statement he says here. He says, the one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you, he says the disciples, rejects me. And not only that, he rejects the one who sent me. Jesus says, when you go out and share it, when they hear you, they're hearing me. But when they come against you, they're coming against me. And not only that, but they're coming against the Father who oversees all these things. And that's supposed to encourage them. It's supposed to encourage them. They're not alone in this, that the Lord is walking with them. And one way we know this is in Luke 10, when they come back and they've seen God move in all these incredible ways, um, and they just can't stop talking about it. Um, it says this. It says, Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. The only place that we're told that Jesus rejoiced, uses that word, um, when, he, when they came back and you're like, this is great, Jesus felt the joy of that as well. So he feels the pain, he also feels the joy that comes with it. Okay, two things in application. Two, uh, actually, one application. Um, two ways to get to it. Um, what stood out for me? First of all, consider the disciples. I just want us to put ourselves in their shoes for a moment. Jesus is getting ready to strike him. He's got a lot more to say here, but he starts out. What were they thinking, and what were they feeling? Like I said, they've never healed anybody. Um, I, I imagine they're fearful, um, thinking, what are we supposed to do? What if nothing happens? What if nobody gives us any food? Um, 
what if we uh, what if we see somebody that we know? Um, and Jesus has taken everything away from them that they could rely on except one another in the Lord. And they're going to be cold. Sometimes they're going to be hungry. Um, they're going to have to get along with each other. Um, they're going to be often rejected, always in danger. Just think about what that was like. And then Jesus says, okay, go, go. And off they go, wondering what's going, hap- what's going to happen. That's what they're doing. And the reason he does this is, uh, you know, we're told in John 15, Jesus says, talks about the branches and the vine and the bearing of fruit. And what does he say? Apart from me, what? You can do nothing. He doesn't say apart from me, you can do pretty good, but it's not going to be quite enough, and I need to add a little spice to it, you know, to make it really taste good. He says, apart from me, you can, you can do nothing. It's, it's, a, it's a word that gives us no space to go anywhere. All of us believe that apart from him, we can do something, because that's how we live, right? We, we think that. We know it's, the scripture tells us not true, but we still kind of grip onto that, because letting go of that, that without him, I can't do anything. I've got to trust. Every moment, I've got to know that he's going to come through for me. And Jesus wanted the disciples to experience what that was about actually be knowing if, some, if God doesn't do something, this is a disaster when we go out. And you know, of course, God does incredible things here. Doesn't mean that we are nothing, by the way, because the scriptures also say what? We are his workmanship, crafted and created for good works that God has prepared for us. And as his craftsmanship and his workmanship, he wants to understand that it's only in his hands that things happen. He wants to remind them that they are jars of clay, as the phrase goes. Um, they're plain and they're fragile. And they're not the ones that people choose off the shelf. But it's the ones that God chooses. I mean, the disciples were clearly jars of clay. They were kind of, we talked about these guys, they weren't anything special. Um, they're like us, right? And God chose them and he fills them up tells us that we become his treasures, his very temple. Jesus knew for these men it was imperative that they walked fully in weakness because the greatest responsibility anybody could be given was going to give to them, take the news to the world. It's the same responsibility that we have been given as well. In weakness, they're going to experience God's power and be unleashed. And by the way, that is the way of Jesus himself who gave up everything in order for God's work to be done in him as he came to this place. So consider ourselves as well. Um, we're the same thing. It's the same for us. Um, I get uh, emails and things in the mail all the time. Um, they're put up by church companies. That if you follow this, you will double the giving of your church in two months. You know, Follow these things in this program, and you will be bursting at the seams, and you'll be doing this great building project, which... I don't want to do anyways. Um, <laughs> do this, and you're guaranteed to see rich worship in your church. All these things. There's all these. And it's not that we shouldn't work hard and be creative and, and give our best the things God puts up. But there's this idea that if we, if we have everything in place, we can make things happen. And our whole world functions that way, doesn't it? Um, and... The, the gospel is counterintuitive to that, is the opposite, is, is letting go of that, is it's realizing, okay, I'm going to give my best efforts, and my best efforts will never be enough 
Not that God says they're not enough. They're, enough, they're all of what he wants. But they will never accomplish that mission. The greatness of the kingdom is expanded as the Holy Spirit takes our efforts, our, us as clay pots, and does a work through it. All right, we go along thinking, okay, I'm a jar of clay, I get that. I'm not going to be one for long, all right? We're going we're to fix this up, and we're not going to be that jar of clay. It's almost like I got to get rid of that. And God's desire is that we would remain jars of clay because that's how he made us. That's where we're best fit in his hands. Those are the kinds of containers that he likes pouring living water into. And when it pours out, it changes people. It changes the world. They said, how often I think churches, and we do it, I do it. It's just so easy to rely on other things. There was enough offerings. We got great building. We have all these different gifts and things, and whether our homes, we're in the right spot, we've got a car that will hold up and not die, all these things that we rest on. The quality of music, balance in our bank, whatever it is, we trust in those things more than the Lord. As I said, not that those things are not good, um, but it's so easy to trust in them, isn't it? We don't even notice it. Interesting, if, uh, for those of you around during the Jesus People movement, um, one of the things that was showed up about it, they left everything behind and said, we're just going to go take the gospel. That was this idea. Just forget all this stuff. It's just trapping us. And they were right. And God did a work. As in all the great, um, the great awakenings of our revivals, if you go back in history, it was, nobody did anything to make them happen. As a matter of fact, they were all surprised by it. And they are often not doing the right things at all. And God just did a work anyways so that people would know that it was him. And the raw materials he uses to accomplish his work is, guess what? It's jars of clay, you and I. That's what he uses. That's what he's chosen to use. That's what he wants to use. So as, as I said, it doesn't mean that we don't work hard and try to do things well, but we shouldn't fool ourselves. If God is not in it, nothing happens. Nothing at all. I was on my way down here early Saturday morning because Dave couldn't preach, and um, I'm like, oh, no. Um, and my thought was, this is going to be a this is going to be a clunker, you know. This is, um, and uh, by the way, true story. I if you've been here for any length of time, I've I've taught some clunkers, okay. And um, nobody's ever come up to me yet because you guys are a gracious group, and said, Chris, that was just painful today. That was painful. But I know that you guys hang out at restaurants and you go, that was pretty painful today, you know. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an, average, an average speaker. Um, and in my home, average is not good. Um, in God's economy, he creates us all differently. And he takes us average people who struggle. My, my greatest fear is if the Holy Spirit doesn't show up in church, this is an embarrassing place to be. Because all you get is me. And the truth is, I sometimes think, well, that's pretty good. It's not. It just isn't. We've, we settle down to the truth of it. You just get me. And sometimes when I do those clunkers, it's amazing. Somebody comes up and goes, gosh, the Spirit was so at work today. I'm like, God, are you kidding me? You know? <laughs> I just want to get home. And because what? When God does a work, he just does a work. 
And he chooses to take us and he says, don't try to be something else. This is who you are. It's what I've made you to be. I love weak vessels. Because the people that think that they aren't, I can't do anything with them. And so he says, I like it. And sometimes he, he takes that, he pours that living water in, and it is so good. And it's good for our own souls. And he just dribbles it out every now and then on people. And sometimes he shatters us, doesn't he? And there's sorrow and there's difficulty, and God allows it, and that water gushes out. In both cases, the living water is what comes out, and the living water is what changes people and makes a difference. And he wants the disciples to get that, and he desperately wants us to get that as well. He wants us dependent and trusting, waiting on him to act, anticipating that he's going to do something, not having to figure everything out ahead of time. From uh, 2 Corinthians 4, um, let me read the whole the couple of verses here from, in addition to that one that's up there. We have this treasure in jars of clay, the Holy Spirit in us, to show that the surpassing power, and the implication is God's surpassing power moves through his people when they allow him to do so. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus could be manifest in us. He takes us and then he pours himself in as, as his temple. And he says, guess what? You're going to go out as these jars of clay and the life of Jesus gets manifest in his people. When that happens, the kingdom expands and the kingdom grows. As long as we try to do something and be something different, it just doesn't go anywhere. We're about to leave here this morning. Um, after our singing, we take communion, and we go to all sorts of places that um, if we would let God do it, he's going to show us we're just jars of clay. We have, we have painful homes or hard jobs, unappreciative people, uh, a world that's in turmoil, unpaid bills, feelings of failure, demands on our time and our gifts, all those kinds of things that God will allow at times, to remind us who we are, that we're jars of clay, just so that he can fill us up afresh with that water. And to take all those things as opportunities to be broken and dependent people who look to Jesus alone, which is what we were singing about, who trust not in ourselves, but on a sovereign God who has poured out his love for his people and who actually is in control of everything and says, go out and trust me with this. Guess what I'm going to do? In all the little places we go, I've got a work to do in each of those places. That he'll do amazing things through his children when we fully lean on him. Cameron, if you guys could uh, make your way back up. We have communion every week, the table here in the, and over on the side and the back. Um, Jesus walked that way. It says that he, he, he did not regard equality with God a thing to hang on to. But he, he let go of that place of power and control. And he, he subjected himself to the hands of sinful men and to betrayal. He took on flesh and weakness, released his position in order that as we gather around the table, remember that the greatness of God's power gets unleashed through his death on the cross as he gave himself up um, for us. Jesus became weak. Um, that we could know the strength of God in our life that comes through our faith and trust in the work he did on the cross for us. He did it so the manifest love of God could be displayed um, to the world.
So as we sing, the, uh, the table is, is open. If you know the Lord, um, gather, give thanks for what he's done for us, um, the goodness he's given. Let me pray for those things, and then let's sing and gather together. Lord, we need your help to let go of all the things that we cling to to give us some sense that we have control and we can make things happen. And there are so many things you want to do, but you want to do it through people that are dependent and in the midst of our weakness. We thank you for the bread and the cup that you went before us and did that on our behalf. That in your weakness um, was poured out in the world the blood of Christ, which changes everything for us. So as a church, as one body this morning, we give you thanks for it. We celebrate the wonder of what you did. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.